Alright, we're coming through. Alright. Here we go. Okay. Okay. I want to read two, two snippets from um, the latest Times magazine. Here we go. Look up your daughter's mobile phone. A new craze has hit high schools. Teenagers are sending nude or semi-nude pictures to one another on their mobiles in a practice called sexting. Parents are in uproar. Though sexting may have started as risque fun, more serious consequences have emerged in the US. Some teens have been arrested on child pornography charges and others have lost scholarships and jobs or even committed suicide after being identified in suggestive photos that have appeared on the internet. According to the National Campaign to Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy, one in five US teenagers has sexted. Now, other countries report similar behaviour. Australia's state government of New South Wales launched an education campaign this month to combat it. The Australian authorities' slogan sums up their message, safe sexting, no such thing. And then we've got another quote by the actor, Tony Curtis, who's very old now, he's in his 80s, but he, this is his advice on life. Be open to the world and all it offers. Don't let your nationality, age, religion, sex or sexuality stop you from engaging with it and sharing in its pleasures. You only have this one chance. None of the external differences that others see matters and nor does the language or accent we speak in and what we actually, it's what we actually say that counts. So I apologise for nothing in terms of what you were born with. And if the superficial judgement of others hurts, step forward into the sunlight regardless and let its warmth ease the pain of that away. This is a much more subtle message. This is um, much more blatant, but... Depending on your worldview, you will process these things differently. Some here, if, 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 you're, if your worldview, if the way you see life is that actually, ultimately what, what counts is personal freedom, and it's my life, and ultimately um, the biggest deal is that I get to do with, with my life, what I do with it because it's mine, then you won't have a problem with sex then. It's kind of like, if you want to sex, sex. If you don't, don't. If, if you're a believer, then you, you will have a problem with it. You'll think, oh, this is, really, this is bad. Totally different responses to the same thing. Likewise, Tony Curtis's advice is much more subtle. It sounds great on the surface, sounds very, very inclusive, but he's basically, um, he's basically condoning, if it feels good, do it. Um, which some might think, well, what's wrong with that? Others, if you're a Christian, you'll think, no, that's not right. Now, how do we come to, how do two humans, two groups of people come to such different um, conclusions about the same thing? To so do with your worldview. How you see life. That's what it's about. We're all shaped by culture, experience, environment and beliefs. And we're all influenced in different ways by different people. None of us grew up in a vacuum, did we? We were brought up with parents who had values. So when I grew up, um, interestingly, um, it was probably, I would say on the outside, you'd say it was probably working class, yeah, it was a working class upbringing, and yet my, my, my parents were staunch conservatives. I don't know, that's quite unusual, I guess, but they were. To the extent that I just assumed no one in their right mind would ever vote Labour, okay? 
Now, I'm not making any political comments here. I'm telling you about my own experience. That was just what I grew up with. I became a Christian when I was 18, and I remember just going around someone's house for lunch, and one of the church elders was around there, and we were just doing the washing up together, and I made this joke, and it was something like, well, no one's going to vote Labour, are they? And I assumed, well, because this guy's intelligent, and, you know, he's got his head screwed on, he's just, we're going to go, oh, yeah, and carry on join up. And he said, well, I'm, I think it's something like I'm a member of the Labour Party. <laughs> it, was something, it was shocking to me. Why? But well, what it was, was I hadn't realised that I'd just been brought up with this worldview. I thought it was just reality. I remember one time one of my children said to me, Dad, are my arms too skinny? Right? And I thought, this is, this is a massive moment. Because what I say will not be interpreted as an opinion, but as reality. Why? Because I'm dead, and they're very young. And I said, your arms are perfect. Massive moment. Because when you're being brought up, you're sort of like, you're wet concrete, aren't you? You're not set, but you get shaped by people's opinions around you and values and beliefs, etc., etc. So we've all been shaped by different ways, and we all come at things from a different angle. Um... So what is the Christian worldview? The Christian worldview is this, is that we are totally submitted to Scripture. So we say we completely submit to the Bible as our authority. Um, the reason being that we say that although it was penned by people, it's, we believe it's God's revelation, it's God's revelation of himself, that it's all God-inspired, that although it was written in certain cultures, it transcends culture, and so it's true, and it's authoritative. It was, it, it, it was inspired by the God who is all-knowing and all-wise. So whether you agree with it or not, it's logical. It's actually illogical if you're a Christian and you don't submit to Scripture. Incredibly logical. It it just begs the question, why? If you're not a believer, then I guess you just figure it out. You either say, well, it's my personal preference that has the final say, or another particular system of belief. But none of us are objective. None of us live without specs on. We all do. So it's not just as simple as, we all those narrow Bible types. Well, the person who says that is demonstrating a narrowness of their own, aren't they? Yeah? Everyone's got their specs on which shapes the way they think about things. And uh, we all um, influence. And we all, we all give something a final say, the final authority. For me, I'd say it's the Bible. What is it for you? Is it the Bible or is it what you think? What your mum and dad said? You've got to be able to step back and ask yourself these questions. The point is, is to become a Christian involves an entire overhaul of every attitude, every value and every belief. And to the extent that you submit to scripture, to that extent you experience the joys of life to the full. We're now four weeks into our series on worship. And we're going to be looking particularly today at um, the subject of sex as worship. We've looked at, we've introduced the subject in a general way, we've looked at speech as worship, and we've looked at time as worship. Yes, this is the fourth week. So today's sex as worship. I mean, we're contending for four things. Number one, we're created to worship. We're made to worship. Number two, worship is 24-7. Real worship is something that consumes you, not something you switch on and switch off. It's what really gets you. It's what really moves you in your deepest place. It's not what you do. Oh, I'll do that on a Sunday. No, worship is what you live and breathe. It's what grabs you. Thirdly, that the object of your worship is the difference between life and death. You've got to work out whom or what am I worshipping. Is it part of the created order or am I worshipping the creator? And finally, a way has been made for us and not by us that we might be restored to true worship. So, sex is worship. Are you ready? There will be Q&A at the end of today because I think it's one of those subjects, isn't it? Well, let's, 
sex as worship. Let's change one letter and add two and start with sex is worshipped, which is the truth for the UK. Let's just dig into that more negatively, that actually the, one of the major idols, gods of our nation and society, is sex. People worship sex. It's not surprising. Sexual orgasm gives you the closest thing to a heroin rush, um, but obviously without any harmful results in a physical sense. So God has created sex in such a way that the climax of sex physically is, is, is ecstasy. So it's not surprising. Our society makes sex very easy to come by, whether it's prostitution. We happen to live on a junction of roads that are famous for prostitution, so it's very common to see um, ladies out working the streets. It's very, very common, very... Just for whatever reason, where we live historically, it's been like that, so it's there a lot. Um, one-night stand nightclub culture. So there's a whole culture which really permits and says it's not a bad thing to meet someone for the first time and to go back to their place and spend the night with them. That's not viewed shamefully. In our culture, that's not sh- uh, uh, viewed as something to be ashamed of, almost something to be celebrated. Internet pornography, so you've got really a whole world of sexual um, experience at the touch of a button. Um, and it works differently and yet powerfully for men and women. So we're going to just look at that in a minute, just d- dig into that. Um, for the guys, it, the, the biggest deal is the eyes. Um, I don't know, um, if you know this, you might be surprised, but as I go about my normal business, just day to day, I am, well, it surprises me, I would say probably 10, 20 times in one day, women constantly just look at, look at me with sexual longing. They want me to make love to them. Just walking, just walking around, it's like, it's murder. It's absolute murder. Um, just, and, and always stunning, always the stunning ones. Dulled up to the nines. It's hard. It's hard. You might say, who? I'll tell you who. There's, there's about between eight to ten of them in the local phone box. Um, there's, there's a few on the billboards. Lots of them on the sides of the buses. But they're engaging, they're looking at me, and the way they look at me, they're saying, you've turned me on, and I'd love you to make love to me. They're offering me intimacy constantly. And the way they look at me, they're saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can satisfy me. The problem is, is they're looking at you the same. <laughs> See, it offers intimacy, but it's not. It's not. It's not real. It's false. It's false. They don't even know you. But they're not even real, are they? They're photos. But the way they look, it draws you in with this promise. And the man is very weak through the eyes. It's like the ladies want to want me to show them what I've got. I'm being very, very blunt today because I think there's no point skirting around the issues on a subject like this. They want to they want me to show them that I can bring satisfaction, and it plays on the curse of the man. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they were both cursed in different ways. And um, when speaking to Eve in Genesis three verse sixteen, the last sentence, God says this. Can we get it up? He shall rule over you. It's part of the curse. It wasn't part of God's original intention, but he shall rule over you. There's something in fallen man 
that wants to demonstrate his ability to, um, to, to, he's got it, he's got what it takes. He can, he can, he can take the wildest woman and tame her and satisfy her. A hundred women. There's something in the, in, 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 in the makeup of fallen man that is like that. That's what needs to demonstrate power, strength, sexual prowess, and is very weak visually. And it can result in a real devotion and worship of sex. For women, it's different. For women, they're more under the bombardment and really from the magazines and the media constantly, subtly, but constantly barking orders at them in terms of this is how you must dress if you want to be desirable. This is how you must look if you want to be sexy. That word is used deliberately. Um, sexiness devoting desirability. Men will desire you, men will look at you and you, they will give you a second look and you will feel special. You will feel that you've, you've, you've managed to get the attention of uh, a guy or, or lots of guys. And uh, so a woman's longing is to be desired and it's not a wrong thing in and of itself, but if it's not kept in check, it can be disastrous. It can be a disastrous thing. If a woman doesn't find her ID squarely in Christ, she's very vulnerable on this one. Her second vulnerability is this. It's part of her curse, Genesis 3, verse 16c. Your desire shall be for your husband. The word desire is a negative word. It's used in the next chapter when God says to Cain, sin desires to be your master. There's something in the, in the nature of fallen woman where she wants, to, she wants to rule over the man. She wants to exert power over the man and be in control. Um, but Women can't do this with violence. She's, generally speaking, physically weaker. Um, and so is tempted to use her sexual attraction to make him putty in her hands. So she can use her body, she can use her beauty, she can use her sexuality to really um, get one over and to be in control. However you look at it, if sex is used to gain advantage, to prove yourself, as a form of power, just to satisfy lust, you've missed it. You've, you've fallen for the curse of sex. You, you're in, you're, you're, you've, you've become idolatrous around the subject of sex. Even if everyone else is doing it, you've missed it. What does the Bible teach about sex? Well, let's look at sex as worship. We need to look at it really importantly because historically the church has been very negative about sex. Um, church's reputation for being prudish and embarrassed on the subject. This is unbiblical. There is one whole book in the Bible given over to the celebration of sexual love. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Now, because the church has been embarrassed over sex, they've tended to allegorise the whole book. It's all about Jesus and the church. Now, I'm sure there's allegorical um, content in there, but it's primarily about a man and a woman and their, and their celebration of their love for one another. And it's about the joys of uh, marital sex. That's what it's about. Um, so just, you know, we need to realise that. Um, I'm not just going to try and be trendy today. Oh, everyone's talking about sex. Let's be trendy. Let's show the church is trendy. I'm going to be biblical. Um, let's go back to creation. God created sex. Yeah? Wasn't, wasn't a result of the fall. Suddenly they had sexual organs. Oh, the curse. What are these for? You know, it's not what happened. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think there may have been a part of the church historically that has taught that sex or the enjoyment of sex is part of the fall. So you immediately feel guilty, don't you? Yeah, it just puts guilt on the whole subject. God can't think it's bad because in Genesis 1.31, what does he say? And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was 
very good. He saw everything he had made and he said it's very good. It's very important. See, when you read this, you're probably thinking of sun and moon and stars, rightly so. But he's thinking of the man and the woman as well. It's good, it's very good. You need to, that's, that's the starting point, that's where we start on this subject. Next we see something very important about the character of God and how he relates to people in Genesis 2. He says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. There's a covenant, There's an, God makes an agreement, he says, this is how we're going to relate, have a great time. Eat from whatever tree you like. There's generosity, there's abundance. It's just the one tree, don't do that. If you do, you'll die. There's a prohibition with a, a warning of what will happen if they, if, they, if they disobey. It's a covenant. God relates to people by way of covenant. He's not casual. He makes, this is how his thing's going to work. Okay? So we've got God who created everything that is very good, and then a God who is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Just look at the word helper quickly, because it can be viewed as kind of, um, in a disparaging way. It sounds like a bit like she's just going to be kind of running around doing, you know, just kind of wearing herself out while the guy's got his feet up and eating grapes. It's not like that. The word helper means surrounder. It's a very strong word. God takes the same title on himself throughout Scripture. I'll be your help. It's the same word. Okay? So it's a strong, it's a robust, it's an honourable title, but she is made to help him and to fit. They fit physically. This is, I mean, I know you're suddenly thinking, this is so basic. But we ignore a lot of the clues at our own expense. They fit physically. Their bodies are made to come together sexually and to produce life, and to bring great pleasure. That's what they're made for physically. They're to fit socially, different strengths. They're to fit emotionally, they're wired differently, but when they come together, it's a beautiful thing. It's the wisdom of God. And what we see is that the Lord brings Eve to him, it's like he's bringing, uh, like a father of the bride. He's bringing, he's bringing his daughter to, 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 to the groom and he, he gives her away. And, um, and let's see what Adam says, Genesis 2, verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. It's poetic, it rhymes, it's a couplet. It, it, the, the man is thrilled. He's absolutely thrilled with what he sees. The first human words ever recorded are a poem. He's surprised, he's delighted. She's, she's sane, but she's different, Yeah? Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Won't call a man, they would call a woman. She's different. I can see she's different. It's beautiful. He's thrilled and rightly so. Rightly so. Bear in mind that, you know, in the time previous, he was having to look at giraffes and cows and all the other lot, you know, and name them. And then suddenly the woman comes on. You can almost sense the relief as well. Um, Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the key verse. So something's going to, here's how it's going to work. The guy's going to leave his parents. Deliberately, thoroughly. He's not going to be tied to his mum's apron strings anymore. He's not going to go running home if he gets the flu. Okay, he's not going to do that. He leaves his parents. Loves them, honours them for life, 
but he leaves them. And then he's going to hold fast to his wife. This means that he's going to absolutely devote himself to her. Completely give himself to her. I am yours. All that I have, I share with you. All that I am, I give to you. He gives himself emotionally. He gives himself physically. He gives himself in every way. He doesn't try and play the bachelor life anymore. He doesn't still try and be one of the boys and, and, and juggle the two things. No, he's a married man now. And he li- li- lives like a mar- married man. And his friends can mock him for it. But he says, I don't care. I'm married. I'm not going to fall under your pressure. You can accuse me of being under the thumb. It's not that. I just honour her and I love her. He gives himself to her. And they then shall become one flesh. Then they're joined. There's the leaving, there's the cleaving, then there's the joining, the sex, then. Why? Because the sex is the expression. The sex is the expression of the covenant. It doesn't exist in its own right before God. There's the leaving, the cleaving. Now we come together. Now we are one flesh. What we do now physically is speaking of what we've done. That we've left and we've cleaved to one another. It's marriage. It's marriage. So is a sex act to be dutiful and nothing more? Now we are married, we will now be one flesh. Let's read the Song of Solomon. <laughs> Just a few abbreviated verses. Um, you have captivated my heart. This is the man speaking at this point. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. She tastes great. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Okay, so it's very poetic, but it's clear there's some serious intimacy going on here. It's delight, it's celebration, it's wonder that this woman would give herself, that she would be such a delightful, uh, just extravagant gift of beauty to him. And yet she's given herself to him. She's totally, you know, she's, uh, earlier, somewhere else she's described as a locked garden. But for her husband, the, the garden is opened up. She just gives herself. And he's, he's thrilled. He can't believe it. It's like it's too good to be true. And then she speaks to him. Awake on north. Oops, it's the same. No, it's the same one, mate. That's all right. No, no, no. No. If you go back. Got it on the notes here, but it's probably more helpful if we just have it up there so you guys can follow it. Thanks. Okay. Um, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. So she's smelling great, and she's wanting to let let him know that she's kind of she's prepared herself to be with him and she just wants him to be able to enjoy and delight in all the preparations she's made she's beautified herself um let my beloved come to his garden eat his choicest fruit she just invites him 
So she's so he's just thrilled that, that this woman would give herself, and she's totally inviting and totally forthcoming in her approach to him. There's none of this kind of coy, kind of one-way traffic thing going on. It's not biblical. There's just this mutual uh, security and celebration of one another. I've just abbreviated it, but that's just some of the verses from there. And then in Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll put it up in just a second, there's this surprising comment that comes from a third party. Now, throughout Song of Solomon, there have been third parties and friends, but it's not coming from any friends, because if it is, it'd be voyeurism. Okay? <laughs> if it's friends, they're watching this couple. It's, not, it's definitely not friends. But, so the commentators say, we think it's God, and this is what he said. Eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. God is looking on and God says, be drunk with love. Enjoy. This is great. It's God's affirmation. It's God's word of, this is, this is totally right. Why is God so for marital sex? Because it strengthens the covenant relationship and God loves covenant relationships. God is fully behind explosive, liberated, intoxicating sex within marriage. He has a sacred beauty. And of course it produces life. When encouraging his son away from adultery, the writer of the book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 5, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, the Hebrew there is led astray. Be led astray always in her love. The next verse goes on and says, why, why be led astray by an adulteress? Be led astray by your wife. It's good, isn't it? This is God. This is God's word. Here we see real encouragement with regards to liberation in the bedroom, but privately, exclusively. It's not to be shared. It's not to be shared over the phone, over the text. It's not to be shared over the internet. It's not to be shared by others, whether in person, three in a bed or whatever else, or in seedy conversations, relaying what went on. No. It's intimate. It's sacred. It's where sexiness is to be properly expressed with all freedom and all joy. Not in the marketplace. Not on the billboards. Not for whoever wants to look for your spouse. It's a difference between what I call bedroom and ballroom beauty. I call it ballroom beauty just because I couldn't think of another word that became a B, but I wanted it to be memorable. I'm talking about private and public beauty. There's, but our society blurs the lines. And it, and, it, and it puts forward images of women that are really showing what they've got in very, very um, provocative ways, in ways that are very, very highly um, visually stimulating. But it's bedroom beauty. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's, it's, it's the wrong context. It's not, for, it's not for that. It's not for everyone to just enjoy. No, it's for that person's husband. It's for that person's wife. And, and our culture so blurs the lines, and I think sometimes we, we ourselves, you know, we, we struggle. We think, oh, I don't want to just be a prudish. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about context. Where is it? Where's God got it? It's for celebration, but it's exclusive. It's private, and it's beautiful. I want to just answer a few questions. Number one, what's wrong with adultery? It's the breaking of a covenant. That's what's wrong with it. It's divorce. Maybe not on paper, but definitely in body and heart. God hates it. But you need to understand, soap operas glorify it. Ratings go up. Magazines thrive on sexual scandal. We live in a culture that encourages playing the field and the thrill of cheating on one's spouse. It's idolatry. It's the worship of cheap thrills. It's the worship of physical pleasure. It's the worship of escapism. What's wrong with fornication, which means sex outside of marriage? 
it's taking it a co- it's taking a covenantal act and making it a casual act. You're taking something which is ultimately what is it? It's expressing the covenant. It's an image and a picture and illustration of wholehearted devotion, lifelong to one another, no matter what, in sickness and in health, in better and in worse. That it's expression of that, a vivid and glorious picture of it. You take it out of that, you've, t- you've made it into a casual act. Now, I'm not saying that those who aren't married can have no commitment to one another, but it's different from covenant. Sex is a covenantal act. A covenant is a, a, a relationship built on binding promises. Solemn. It was created to express the intimacy, oneness, and uniqueness of marriage. To remove it from that realm is idolatry. The worship of one's own will against God's, the worship of someone else, or the worship of the spirit of the age. Everyone's doing it. Thirdly, and highly controversially, what's wrong with homosexuality? Everything. It is not redeemable. There are no settings where it is okay. Now, I'm going to encourage you just for a few moments to think for yourself. There is a huge political pressure on Western nations to accept homosexuality as a valid expression of sexuality as heterosexuality. And I would go as far as to say there's a violent labelling as homophobic gay bashers anybody who does not conform to this. It's bullying, it's intimidation, and it mitigates against freedom. There are more than two camps. It's not just that you're totally for it or you're a homophobic gay basher. There are more than two camps. I'm not homophobic. I do not have an irrational fear or hatred of people that are gay. I see them as I see myself. Glorious, made in the image of God. Corrupt, sinful, fallen idolatrous in need of mercy and grace just as I am I'm convinced biblically, socially and medically that it's harmful indecent, fraudulent and rejected by God as a marriage alternative the fact this is so controversial shows just how much ground has been made by violent um, aggressive homosexual lobbyists The church must be lovingly and graciously truthful and vocal. And loving. Filled with grace. Beware of Darwinian mindset here which says that we're getting better and better. So people say, how can you still think like this? I can't believe it. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm sitting here somewhere in 21st century London. London, we love the cosmopolitan thing and someone's saying this and he looks vaguely normal. What's going on here? Surely we've come out of the woods on this. Surely we've been enlightened. The Bible says that we're not being enlightened, but that we've exchanged the truth for a lie and become futile in our thinking as a result. Sure, we're learning more scientifically, but morally we're not improving. We don't need education, we need regeneration. (laughs) We need to be born again. We need mercy and we need grace. Next question, what's wrong with pornography? Everything. It's not redeemable. There are no settings where it's okay. It's a complete pollutant. It will trap you. It will shape the way you think about sex, relationships, and marriage. It will destroy your strength. It's a lie. It's degrading to the glory of what human beings are. It's horrendous, and it's incredibly popular. So much of it is becoming normal. Finally, what's wrong with paedophilia? Everything. It's not redeemable. There are no settings where it's okay. You may say, that's obvious. Do you know what? Do you know what? 50 years ago, you would have said that about homosexuality. It was viewed in exactly the same way. 
You might think, are you being alarmist here? In Scandinavia now, there's a paedophile society. Legal above board. It's no longer an undercover paedophile ring. It's a paedophile society. And now there are arguments to justify why it's okay. And do you know what the arguments are? Exactly the same arguments for homosexuality. Exactly the same. Born like it. Can't change it. Think for yourself. Think it through. Work it through. Sobering, isn't it? Mustn't be swayed by the spirit of the age. By neither must we become, you know, weird throwing bombs at people and all that stuff. You know, don't become like that. You love people. You graciously you let them know the gospel. You seem exactly the same as yourself and as much need as you are. But you've got to be upfront and straight. I want to just sum up. Happy, liberated, ecstatic, shame-free, guilt-free sex is to be enjoyed to the glory of God within marriage. Hallelujah. <laughs> I thought it was good. This is an essential part of marriage that goes, that, a part of a marriage that goes from strength to strength and glorifies God. To, to, to neglect romance and to neglect sexual intimacy in marriage is sin because you're neglecting your marriage. God has called you to work at your marriage with all your might until the day you die. So you're either being lazy, fearful, or you're being lied to by Satan if you're in this situation and we would love to help you. Sex outside of marriage is always wrong and sinful regardless of culture or current trends because sex is covenantal expression. And where there's no covenant, there ought to be no expression of it. What to, what to do if you're sexually active outside of marriage? Well, it depends. If you're not a believer, you're not born again. You don't know the Lord. It's merely just a symptom of a far greater issue. that You're alienated from God at the moment. You need to be brought back to him through faith in Jesus Christ. To just deal with it, say, oh, I'll sort, I'll sort the sex thing out. Then it would just be like ripping a stinging nettle leaf off of a plant and expecting everything to be okay. No, there needs to be a total. Jesus said, you must be born again. What that means is, is that through faith in Christ, your heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put in. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and he makes you into a brand new person. That's what you need. Then we can start working through the details. If you're a believer, then you just need to stop. You just need to stop. And you might say, that sounds so idealistic. It's just obedience. It's discipleship. It's being what you say you are. It's integrity. If it inconveniences you, still do it. Sacrifices always cost. Take stock of the relationship you're in. Does this person want to follow Christ as you do? If so, get married. Then carry on enjoying your sex life. If that's not going to work, then maybe you should just be friends anyway. Do not go on soiling your conscience, grieving the Holy Spirit, disobeying scripture. Deliberate and willful sin in the life of a believer is very serious and we would love to help you. I'm going to finish with a quote. It's an excellent book called God, Marriage and Family. Contrary to the world's notion that truly exciting love must be outside of the confines of marriage, Scripture makes it clear that it is the very security provided by an exclusive, lifelong marriage relationship that allows for the sexual satisfaction and fulfillment of both the man and the woman. Liberated from the self-centeredness of sin and from the desire to manipulate one's spouse to have one's own needs met, the marriage partners are free to love their spouse in a spirit that is completely self-giving and hence able to love and enjoy the other person without fear of rejection, abuse or domination. Married love thus turns out to be the fulfillment of every man's and every woman's dream, but it proves elusive to those who have not been renewed and transformed by the Holy Spirit upon repentance and faith in Christ. Let us finish with one quote from Scripture, Romans chapter 12. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen? Amen. It feels very sober in here. Any questions? Um, there will be no sex in heaven. Um, Jesus said that people won't be given in marriage, but in, in that sense they'll be like the angels. Um, so I imagine, for example, that myself and Davina will, because <laughs> I think we'll know, we'll recognize one another, I'm convinced that our personhood is eternal. So we'll look at each other and we'll giggle about, you know, the fun we had. Um, <laughs> um, and all the memories and all the stuff, you know, um, not just of sexual, you know, liberation, but just life. Um, but there will be such as, it's just the nearness of God, the fullness of the presence of God. I think um, there'll just be such a sense where everything else will be very dim in comparison, um, that it just won't be a necessary part of, of life. So it seems to be what the Bible teaches. Anything else? Someone who's convinced they're born gay. Yeah. Um, I think here's what I would say. So, because I've, I've had a, I wouldn't say I've had masses of involvement, but some very meaningful involvement with people in this situation, relatives, friends, etc. Um, so I have a friend who is absolutely, you know, would say is inclined that way, and as far as you can remember, pretty much always has been. And as a believer, so he's a celibate believer. Um, he doesn't find it easy, but he would see that. He's, and he's really open to God bringing change, but that hasn't happened. So he's saying, that, okay, that's part of what it costs me to follow Jesus. It costs us all something, doesn't it? It might not be on that front, but it will cost us somewhere else. It may be that you're totally heterosexual in your desire, but actually you, you, there's a, there's a, you're single, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and likewise then, it's a call to be celibate. Um, and I think there are, on all of us, desires that actually feel very you know, kind of like natural, but that actually we know biblically it's not right, so we, we crucify it. Um, so obviously you, you don't bring that in an unsympathetic, harsh way. You, you, of course not. So how you bring it is very important, but it is, it is, the, it is the truth. Um, having said all of that, um, I think there is huge work to be done in terms of just look, looking into this whole thing of being born gay and really just working through that. It's not the setting to go into it now because it probably raises more questions than answers, but I don't think it's as simplistic as we often make it out to be. And I think sometimes someone says it and you just feel like, <gasps> I don't want to appear, you know, kind of, I don't understand or something, so you just kind of immediately capitulate to the concept. I th- you know, some people, you know, some people say since dot, I've had fantasies about blah, blah, blah. Or since dot, I've wanted to do this, and I'm ashamed of it. And I think, you know, we need to remember that we, we tend to think that when our existence starts with us, it doesn't. We think so individualistically, not just breadth-wise, but depth-wise. But you need to understand you've got a family line, and things can most definitely be picked up in the spirit from that, which God can release us from. So there's all that whole thing there, but... Yeah. Yes.
Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, what I would say is, is that sex with yourself or masturbation is almost always intertwined with sexual fantasy of some kind, which is, in the Bible says, set your mind on that, which is true. Um, and I think you can d- develop into this kind of weird world of kind of uh, fantasy. It's not healthy. It's not. It's not godly. So, um, it's. I would say. I would say that it's wrong. I think it is. I think God has given. Um, it's funny. The whole orgasm thing is such, such a different thing for guys and for girls. It's just such an incredibly different thing. Um, because obviously there's this there's the whole ejaculation side for the guys and the build up of that. But God's provided for that through um, a mission in the night. That's God's provision for the physical build-up of sperm. That's his provision so that it comes out you know, at night from time to time if you're not engaging in sexual activity but you're the age where you can be. So it's, it's not a physical thing. It's a, it's, it's a mind, desire, lust thing. And so it's about coming through victoriously on that, which I think, I think like most areas in our lives, sometimes you do better than others, but with God you you believe and experience a trajectory of increasing obedience and victory as a result. So I think, um, I think that's the reality. Yeah. Because it's, it's, not, it's not made for. It's made, it, it's, a, it's, it's not about, it's about giving to the person. See, this is the other thing with such a misconception. Sex is about, oh, it's if the husband in the marriage gives to the wife, the wife in the marriage gives to the husband, and that's, that's the whole the way the marriage works. And it goes on to the bedroom as well. He's looking to give her total pleasure. She's looking to give him the same. It's a wonderful scenario. You take that out into an isolated thing, it's, it's not. Um, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I would say, you know, yeah, biblically we shouldn't be going, we shouldn't be going down there, that road. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Because we're constantly being uh, bombarded with images of what is beautiful, aren't we? And I think we need to be ever so discerning on that front. I think the reality is we do have different taste. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And I don't say this in disparaging ways, but sometimes you know, you're, with, you're with a couple and you think, I don't know what you see in that person. <laughs> to be honest, it's not a negative thing because clearly they see something amazing in that person. Okay? It's actually quite a helpful illustration. Physically, I see nothing in that person that would want me to kiss them or be intimate with them. For this person, there's something clearly there. That's great. It's great news. Some some guys, you know, they, they like a, a big nose on a girl. Other guys, no, no, they, they do. Yeah, some guys like you know, like the curvy model more. Others more slender. That's that's reality. And I, I think it's just I think it's all of us being aware that it's obviously there are always certain people that are going to turn heads. Yeah. You're always going to get your Brad Pitts and your Angelina Jolies. They're always going to turn heads. Fine. But I think let's remember that within that broad framework, there are specific tastes. Specific tastes that I find attractive that you might not. And I think, so what we, how we do that is when we turn into ourselves and say, actually, there will be someone who likes the fact that one of my eyeballs is a slightly different color from the other one or something. Yeah, you know, they'll find it cute. 
you know, or whatever. And I think that I, I would say that you, otherwise you get duped and you get into thinking that they all want this. And it's not the case. It's really not the case. So that would be my advice, really, to just really to, to break out from that whole thing of this is what they must look like. And here's another thing as well. So if you're looking for someone, don't, don't whatever you do think, well, what will so-and-so think if I come back with this person? From a physical perspective, it's completely irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. So I think if the person who's pursuing and the person who's being pursued are both getting their minds renewed, we're going to have a great time. Anything else? Fiona. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just this, this, this journey in, isn't there? There's, there's, people tend to expect that when, especially Christians, they get married and the sex life's going to be just like, wow! Maybe it was just us. <laughs> I, I think often that's not the case. It's something you have to learn. You learn how to please the other person over time. But you've been watching too many films. Do you know what I mean? Where these people meet for the first time, they're in bed and it's just like, it's fireworks. You're watching too many films. And so you get, you, you get, in, you get into the bedroom with your husband and your wife and you think it's going to be like that. And it just isn't. And you've got to work to get to that place. I'd say if someone's got that kind of a history, it's going to just take longer. God will bring healing through just moments in God, but also through the relationship. See, relationships ought to be healing as well, shouldn't they? They bring healing. And it, just, you just, it will take incredible patience on the part of the, the person who's married to that person. But again, love is patience. It's love, it's not lust. It's, it's about, well, let's do the journey. Let's do the journey and come to, so you read books on it together, you get your mind renewed. And we believe, don't we, in transformation as our minds get renewed. And I, so I think it's about having faith that God will complete what he started and that that will break into this realm as well as in any other realm. But don't expect necessarily for the thing to be solved overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Sex sells. What do you do as a Christian in that world? It's an excellent question. I think number one, you do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's ever so important. Don't or, or and, and, and don't get into that thing where you, you feel uncomfortable when you shout it down. You can do that on all kinds of different realms, can't you? There's that voice, you're like, ah, that's fine, that's fine, and you've got your twenty reasons why, but it's there. Don't do that, because what can happen then is you can get your conscience can get seared, and then you don't hear it anymore. So it's really important you listen to that and you respond to it. Say no, you know, um, and, and, and it may be that you have to go to your boss and say, "I'm not going to work on this project," and here's why. And it, you, uh, on a human level, that could look like you're going to lose your job. On a God level, like with Daniel and stuff, it could just exalt you. You've got to be in faith. If God has got, if it's God's plan for you, God's brought you into this realm, it's like Daniel, you know, honor God in that realm and God will exalt you or if you get sacked, it will be to the glory of God. And if, you know, is, if that sounds just kind of like, I don't know, just like a, a pat answer, I had to do it in a different thing, but in work, boss asked me to do something, I knew it lacked integrity, so I'm not doing it. I said, well, if I get sacked, I get sacked. I'm not going to, you mustn't as a believer ever override your conscience. You mustn't ignore the voice of God. Oh, that is so important. So I just think that you just got to, that's, you know, and just be explained, don't be explosive or dis, just sit down and explain why and, um, you know, just trust God in it. Um, 
But at the same time, with, see, the beauty of Daniel is this. Daniel let his name be changed to Belshazzar, which was really a name of a, it was to do with other deities and gods. So there were certain things he moved on. Other things, he's like, I'm not moving on that. I'm not going to eat the, the king's delicacy food. He knew in God what things to move on. It was not a problem. Other things he stood his ground on. So it's not just you're looking for battles and fights all the time and you're constantly trying to delineate the fact that you're different. So, you know, it's wisdom. Wisdom. What does the Bible say? If any of you lacks it, ask God, he'll give it to you. I think for those of you guys that are in that world, just constantly be saying, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. God will honour you. God will honour you. We'll do one more question, then we're going to break bread and sing. If it's not, then we won't. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wish you hadn't asked me that. (laughs) In the art world, lots of nudity and stuff. How do you respond to that? Because I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure I'm clear in my own mind on that to be honest at the moment. I think I'm on a kind of a, you know I don't want to be the kind of uncultural you know philistine do you know what I mean who kind of holds up a kind of a black suit over everything I'm looking at so I can just see the face you know you know I don't want to be that person do you know I don't want to be that man you know what I mean I don't want to be that man and yet there's other times where I'm looking at it and I'm thinking this is stimulating. <laughs> You know, more than just, because you can do the whole, well, I'm appreciating the beauty thing. And I think if you're mature, you can do that more. But I think sometimes you, you go down that road. I mean, I remember once, I don't even know if I told you this, crazy story. I went to an airport. Airports are a nightmare because everyone's coming back, you know, with next to nothing on and great suntans. And, and because of my flight delay, I had to, I had to be um, in the airport all day. So I mean, this is bad enough. And, and I was there and, and I thought, oh, I mean, I'm going to be here for hours now. What do I do? I thought... Come on, man, just appreciate the beauty, right? That was my that was a strategy, because it's going to be crazy. You're going to be walking around with your head down, banging into walls, you know. Just a, so I tried that for about an hour or so. Not in a, literally, real with integrity. And then I thought, this is just, this isn't, that's not what's happening here. Yeah, that's not what's happening. And so I think, and then, so then I had to go back to sort of walking into walls. And I think, you've just got to know yourself. You've got to know what's giving you a problem. You've got, God gives grace, isn't he, to certain people that are called into a certain area, they can cope with stuff. If there's grace, then walk in it. But if there isn't, don't pretend there is. <laughs> yeah? Don't pretend, well, you can do it, so why can't I? No, you just haven't got the grace for that. So don't do it, because if it's going to draw you into that place of lust and that place of you're not doing yourself any favours with God, then just don't go there. I hope that's helpful. Okay, guys, I know it's been long, but I really wanted to make sure that we just got to the grips of there. I hope it's served you well. hope it blesses your marriage. hope it helps you, those of you that are unmarried. hope that all of us together can be on the same page with this stuff. Okay, we're going to break bread. We're going to drink wine because Jesus gave his body for us, didn't he? Amen. He gave his body in, in, in something that was not at all enjoyable, in the most horrendous death. He poured out his life for us so he could be brought back to God. So it's so important that every time we gather like this, we celebrate that, that we take of the body, and that we take of the blood. And we, as, as he said, we eat his flesh and we drink his blood and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Amen? Amen.